Praise you, Jesus. You are great and you are glorious. As we come into your presence now, I pray that you would meet us here. Open our eyes and ears. Open our minds and hearts so that we would know you better and therefore love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the many cool things about living next to an Air Force base is that you get insights into how the military works. For example, there is a thing called weapons school. A friend of mine had to transfer to the base near Vegas for six months, and he had to separate from his family for this time because the Air Force knows that it takes the students 24 hours a day in order to understand all the various weapons that the U.S. military has. Now, the point of this school was that the young officer could advise more senior officers about the capabilities of various weapons at crucial moments when the need arises. Now, of course, there are many appropriate old sayings about this and this regard, know your enemies, know yourself. One of my favorites that's kind of related is the Native American proverb that says, one day I went in search of my enemies and I found no friends. The next, I went in search of my friends and I found no enemies. Would that we all lived accordingly. Today, we are going to spend some time knowing our enemy a little better. We will spend more time knowing our friend better. Now, I promised several weeks ago that we would look at demons, not, I want to note, to satisfy our curiosity. I've said many times, the Bible never tries merely to satisfy our curiosity. And our enemies are real. And they remain for now. One of these days... They will remain no more. Until then, we are the church militant. Militant against the foes in our hearts and in our minds. This is exactly what Paul has in mind in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5. through Paul says, For we walk not in the flesh. We are not waging war against, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Why? Because lies, 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 all lies. Because that's the enemy's language, we need to know, we need to pursue, and we need to teach the truth so that we can take every thought captive, so that we can fight the lies of the enemies of our souls. So for now, until that day when our enemies are no longer our enemies, we, it is worthwhile for us to understand our enemies and his objectives. More important is our understanding that our friend, our Savior, Jesus, is our victor. He has the weapons we need to fight the enemy at the crucial moment. He has already won the war against Satan, and he is with us in this fight. Everything 
I'm going to say today can be understood from one verse, John 10.10. The thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is our Savior because Christ is our victor. Christ, as our Messiah, is our victor, chosen by God to destroy His enemies. And because Christ, our victor, has destroyed our enemies, Jesus, God with skin on, is also our Savior. Now, as we are going through the Gospel of Mark, we are still in these initial miracle stories. And so we need to know a couple of things about demons that are going to be important actually throughout the whole book. But knowing about demons is not as important as knowing the one who gives victory over demons. We should be in search of our friend because then we will have the means to destroy our enemy. Jesus tells us he came to give life and give it abundantly. Demons aim instead at destruction. Demons wish to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus miraculously cast out the demons. Jesus miraculously cast out the demons so that we would know that he can. Jesus miraculously cast out the demons so that we would know that those forces which are unmovable to us are easily destroyed by Him. Destroyed by a word. Destroyed by the power of abundant life. Jesus is Savior because Christ is victor. Now first, let's unpack a bit more about the purposes of miracles. So far, we have emphasized three truths that are true about every single miracle always. Miracles demonstrate one or more of three realities. The first is that God has all power. He is in control. The second is that God has authority to use that power for His own ends. And the third is that God desires to bring us into His presence. And of course, there's more to this story. With miracles, God demonstrates aspects of His victory over our lostness. God, through miracles, demonstrates His victory over the fallenness of every human heart. Because there are many aspects of the reality that we live in every single day that speak to the damage of the fall. The fall when Adam and Eve sinned. The fall when Adam and Eve sinned and therefore every single man, woman, and child born to them are also sinners. And there are many aspects to the reality that our reality, our humanness is damaged, it's ruined, it's destroyed. And God uses miracles very often that are aimed at correcting or relieving one or more of these sources of death that is in our own heart and in our mind. For example, 
We were dead in our trespasses and sin, so he gave us new life. We were filthy. He cleansed us. We were sick. He healed us. We were separated from him, the source of life. So he separated us unto himself. We were guilty, so he gave us pardon. We were slaves to sin, so he redeemed us. We were enemies, so he won the war for us. He is our victor. We were sinners, therefore he declared us righteous. We were foreigners, so he adopted us. And we were attacked by enemies far more powerful than we, and he rescued us. Now next time we will see that Jesus Christ, our victor, is victor over disease and uncleanness. But today we're talking about demons. And we know that demons are bad. So Jesus is badder. Batter in the sense of tougher, stronger, victorious. Batter in the sense that no matter what the demons do or try to do, Jesus wins. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is our Savior because Christ is our victor. And the Bible tells us about demons so that we will know our enemy. The Bible tells us about demons so that we will understand a little bit better about our victor, Jesus, the one who with a word can send the demons to hell and bring us into his presence. As Christians, we understand that we have three enemies. We have three enemies. First of all, we struggle against Satan and those fallen angels under his sway. We also struggle against the world around us, the, the world that Satan orchestrates. It's the nature of things, the presence of temptation everywhere and everywhere. And lastly, we struggle against our flesh. It's that part of us that has not yet been redeemed, that part of our lives that remains under the sway of our own sin apart from anyone or anything else. And so we need a victor who is stronger than any or all three of those. And so, as we get here to talk about demons, we turn to our passage. Mark chapter 1, verse 34. Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, I want to say, first of all, that the first century believers understood the difference between disease and demonization. It says Jesus healed the sick, and it says that Jesus cast out demons. Don't buy into the false narrative, the fake news that says first century people were ignorant. They couldn't explain illness, so they just went straight to demons. That's a lie. I suspect that's a lie straight from Satan. Satan, which by the way means adversary and devil simply means accuser. Satan and those demons under his sway would love for you to believe that there is no such thing as evil spirits. They would also love for you to believe that they are more powerful and influential than they in fact are. C.S. Lewis rightly noted, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to believe in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. 
Jesus is Savior because Christ is victor. Because he gives victory over the enemies we cannot defeat. We don't even fully understand. Jesus is Savior and Christ is victor because he gives life that is more powerful than the stealing, the killing, and destroying of the demons. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The Bible makes this absolutely crystal clear. Jesus' victory is complete. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Christian, no matter what you face, no matter who your foe, Satan cannot stand against Jesus. Christ is our victor. He wins the victory to show us that he has the victory, no matter what. Now, to demonstrate this, the Bible is filled with stories about God's victory over demons. So let's ask some questions about of the Bible. What do we know about demons from Scripture? Now, I don't have time to do a full survey, but here we go. We find out that Satan is our adversary. And we find out our adversary has a leash. In Job 1.6 we see, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. In other words, God said, hey, Satan, come here. And Satan came along with them. Never forget, Satan bows to Yahweh. Though he is able to wreak great destruction... Satan remains one who reports to the Lord. Satan has no power apart from that which the personal creator king of the universe permits him. The same personal creator king of the universe who loves you and came to give you life and life abundantly. That should give you confidence. That should give you hope. That is why you know that Christ is the victor and therefore Christ Jesus is the Savior. We also know another thing from Scripture. Satan's power comes from his ability to make his lies plausible. Listen to John 8.44. Jesus is speaking to those who are opposing him and says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Now, we have to understand the close connection between lies and murder. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Believing lies, empowering lies, begets death. We embrace lies because we want the world to revolve around us. And so, Satan whispers into our ears, you can't trust God. You must be God for yourself. And this is what we learn from in Scripture. This is why we call Satan the tempter. In Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7, and then in Matthew and Luke chapters 4, 
we see that Satan uses lies and fear. Notably, fear that God, that God can't or won't come through on his promises. The fear that God can't or won't make all of our sufferings worth it. Satan wants you and me to claim the title of God for ourselves and thus stealing our life, killing us, and destroying us and our families. Note also, Satan is adept at using powerful emotions like anger, lust, and pride. And these emotions feel self-justified and therefore we give them rain and we sin and we die because of them. For example, that person wronged you. You are right to hate them or even better, to harm them. Or it's inevitable that you will dwell on this person who is not your spouse. Or you deserve to steal that thing you want. The company has insurance anyways. Lies, 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 all lies. And implicit in these lies, go ahead, do it now. Do it now so you'll be happy. Satan wants you to believe that you will have more pleasure in sin than, if you, than you will if you trust God's promises to do for you what you need. Lies, 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 all lies. My friends, don't let this pass by too quickly. Because the essential foundational command in Scripture is for you and me to trust the promises of God for us in Christ. Distrusting the promises of God is a declaration. Distrusting the promises of God is saying, I am the judge about what is good for me. I am the judge about what will give me most pleasure. So you see, murder and lies are most closely connected. Satan feeds you arsenic. Satan desires to kill you with his lies. So wait for the living water instead. See, all of this, this gets to the fact that though Satan can be blunt, the torching of St. Louis is blunt. Usually, however, Satan is subtle. Satan needs simply to turn your eyes away from Jesus. Shiny diamonds and gold? Great. Smaller, bigger, stronger, softer toys? Wonderful. Stupid, angry, idiotic, patriotic, absolutely. Whatever it takes. We are such predictable sheep. Don't fall for Satan's lies. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In fact, that's the point of J.D. Greer's very good advice. He says, if you want to fight the demonic, don't focus on the demons at all. Just let Jesus be large in your life. You know, over the years, I've been given books and booklets on demons and spiritism, etc. I suppose there's something to be said of value. I think what would be of most value would be 
a book that went through each and every text and looked directly at the biblical text, and we would learn something. But anyone who tells you that they understand the principalities, that all you have to do is say the demon's name and they'll obey you, that's all garbage. I have no time for that. Instead, what you and I must make time for in our lives is making Jesus large in our life. Knowing Jesus. Knowing Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Knowing God and His promises. Knowing God's Word. And knowing that He is active in your life. Especially in your pain. God is right there. Because it is in our pain, it is in our sufferings that we turn our eyes from ourselves and we turn them to Jesus. And as we turn our eyes away from the demons and as we're looking to know God better, we ask the question, what else is it that we know? Second in importance to knowing Jesus is knowing how Satan operates. Now, fortunately, the Bible tells us his objectives and how he pursues these objectives. In fact, Paul says we are not ignorant of his designs. So let's get specific. How can I know that it is Satan speaking to me and not the Holy Spirit? Well, there are at least three questions we could ask. Do my thoughts contradict God's word. I take this from Genesis 3, 1 and Matthew 4, 6, where Satan tempts by casting doubt on God's word. Are you tempted to doubt the plain meaning of what God said? The source of that temptation may very well be the demonic. Number two, do my thoughts condemn or accuse me? Paul warns that there is a repentance that leads to salvation in 2 Corinthians 7.10. There is another that produces only death. If your sadness to your sin feels burdening and destroying as opposed to life-giving, the source of that temptation may very well be demonic. Number three, do my thoughts create anxiety? I take this from 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9 where we see that Satan prowls around seeking to devour us. And in the immediate context is God instead giving shelter from anxiety. Because Jesus is the author of peace. If your thoughts lead you to dwell only and always on the bad, of the source of that temptation may very well be demonic. In fact, allow me a moment to dwell on 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We can learn some very important things here. We can learn that our enemy is real and he is active. We can learn that our enemy delights in our destruction by any means necessary. We also learn that we can resist our enemy. And we learn that resisting our enemy entails 
All that we're talking about when my daily Facebook live videos that's on my Facebook page, this is exactly what we're talking about right now. And the point that I want to make there is the same that J.D. Greer makes. Let Jesus be large in your life. Read God's Word for understanding. Don't merely let the words pass before your eyes. Pray for yourself and for others. In fact, use the Bible to give you prompts in your prayer. Pray God's words back to Him about your family and friends. Serve others. Whenever you put other people's interests above your own, you resist the lie to make yourself a little God. Live and speak the promises of God so that others will know by your attitudes and actions that you trust them. Know that you know not all evil today is demonic, but some certainly is. And when you're tempted to go away from God's word, you know that's demonic. There's one last thing you need to know. Jesus wins. And it's not merely that he wins, but it's how he wins. Because of the cross, we can see what happened in Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. Then he showed the prophet. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this, is Joshua not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, Joshua... Behold, pay attention, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. What do we learn from this passage? We learn, first, firstly, that Satan declares God's people are unworthy. He is our adversary, he is our accuser, and he is good at it. Why is he so good at it? Because we are unworthy. Joshua was clearly unworthy by his dirty garments, and so were all the people he represented. We are, all of us, unworthy. Nevertheless, God dressed him in righteousness, and therefore Joshua was righteous. Period. Satan is shown to be filled with malice and contempt both towards God and to His people. There is no redeeming Satan. There is no outwitting Satan. There is no nothing of Satan by us. Nevertheless, Satan cannot stop God. We also learn that the Hebrew word translated filth here, used of Joshua's clothing, is a cuss word. You were meant to read this in Hebrew and you were saying, whoa, dude, that's a bad word. Yeah, it is. 
And that's the point. Joshua's clothing is filthy beyond polite description. There is no excuse. There is no soft peddling. There is no euphemizing. You can't make this nice. Nevertheless, you are saved by the word, nevertheless. I wonder how much good theology can be expressed with the word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, Joshua was granted salvation in spite of the best efforts Satan can throw. That salvation was represented by the clean garments that Yahweh gave to him. That salvation is represented by the silencing of Satan. You don't need to fear Satan's lies because he is ultimately and finally silenced. That salvation that Joshua is granted, that salvation that God's people individually and corporately are granted is represented by the Lord acting on His behalf, by the Lord acting on your behalf, by the Lord acting on my behalf. Because the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So let Jesus be large in your life. Reach out to Him and He will run to you. Jesus is our Savior because Christ is our victor. Oh Jesus, we come to You because we have no power in ourselves, but we look to You in faith. We trust Your promises and we trust that You will give us victory over the evil one in our lives. God, grant it to us. And though sometimes the battle is long, give us that perseverance we need to know you better. Because as we know you better, we will therefore love you and trust you more. We love you, Jesus. Amen.